And I want you, if you would, to turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. We're just going to get right after it this morning, okay? Galatians 6, 14. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. He says, God forbid. God forbid. That's a pretty strong statement. It's a very strong statement. It's the last of 15 times that this phrase is used in the Scriptures. The last of 15 times. One other notable time is Paul says in Romans 6, But what? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How dead are we that are dead unto sin? Shall we live any longer therein? And he says here, God forbid. Others may glory, Paul says, and or boast in, in their religious works apart from the righteousness of Christ which comes by faith. Others may boast in uh, uh, something apart from Jesus Christ, apart from the saving grace of our Lord or the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ specifically, but not the Apostle Paul. He's not. He's not going to boast in anything other than the Lord and what the cross had accomplished in his life. And I would say that would be true of any man or woman of God that's truly been born again by God's Spirit. If we're truly saved by grace, then we know we're saved by grace. If we're truly saved by grace through faith, we know that we are. We know that there is no inerrant goodness in ourselves that God redeemed us. Some part of me that's kind of redeemable and God can bring along. There's nothing to boast in for any man or woman of God who's truly been reconciled unto God because we've been reconciled unto God by the blood of His cross. We've been reconciled to God through the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. And looking at that, there's nothing I had to do with that. You understand what it says? Nothing to boast in other than that. He says others might. Others might boast in, in, uh, in self-righteousness and religious works and so forth, but He's not. Paul knew by faith and Paul knew by actual experience. We talked about it a little bit in Sunday school this morning. He knew by experience the power of God to save, the power of the cross, the power of Jesus' blood, the, the grace and the mercy of God to forgive and to cleanse and to make Him new, to bring Him to repentance, to, set, to fill Him with the Holy Ghost, to, to set Him on a whole new course of life and give Him a whole new life. He knew the power of that. And He's not going to boast in anything else. He knew the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ as opposed to the life that He knew before, which was a powerlessness, you would say, uh, of, of religious works and, and, and so forth. And the Bible tells us, see, He knew that life as well, right? Just like we knew the life we had before we came to know, know Jesus. We know what that life was like. And we met Christ, it was drastically different. If, it's not, if your life's not drastically different, then you didn't meet the Lord. I was telling those guys Friday night at the, uh, at the halfway house uh, about an occasion. I've shared it here before. I remember preaching or preached in prison for, for many, many years, and I loved having the opportunity to go to prisons, and many of y'all have as well. But I remember one time we were going to uh, the different uh, cell block kind of ministry at Hunt, and we were, this wasn't our typical Bible study on Wednesday night. We had like a revival service, and we'd spend all day walking around, meeting the guys in the dorms, and have a service that night. And I remember going up to one particular guy and I said, can I talk to you about the Lord? He says, oh, I, I, I tried that. I tried Jesus one time. He goes, but now I'm a Muslim. And I said, well, I don't know what you tried, but you didn't try Jesus. You don't try Him. There's nothing in this book 
that tells that you just test him out a little bit and see. Taste and see. Well, if I taste something, I've got to put it in my mouth and swallow it, right? I'm gonna, it's going to be part of me. And we feast upon the Lord and we come to Christ and we die to ourselves and we live unto God. If any man is in Christ, he's in. I said, you know how I know you didn't try Jesus? Because the Bible tells me that if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. You might have tried joining the church and a Bible study and reading your Bible for a few months and joining the choir and hanging out with a Christian group here, but you don't try Jesus Christ. You meet Him. He saves you. You follow at the foot of the cross and He comes into your heart and your life and He makes you new. And you're not the same person anymore. And so Paul knew this by experience as opposed to a life of religion. Now, it was... Uh, the religion itself wasn't bad of Judaism, but that religion was to bring him to Christ. And he missed that. And he knew he's not going to boast in anything other than the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us, and Paul wrote it in Romans 5, that you don't have to turn there, Romans 5, 6, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. He came to know that and to understand that personally. Okay, And so he's talking about the cross there even as well, that Christ died for the ungodly. But what type of strength? When it says in Romans 5, the Word of God, for when we, that's all of us, not just the Apostle Paul, were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. What strength is that? Certainly it's not a physical strength, not a mental capacity. It's talking about a strength to redeem ourselves. We have no power to lift ourselves up you know, we find somebody and they're down and out or so to speak, you say, you need to pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Maybe in some places in life we can do that. I can go take a shower and clean up and, and comb my hair and go try to apply for a job or something like that. But when it comes to salvation in my eternity and forgiveness of sins, I cannot. I cannot pull myself up by my bootstraps. When we were yet without strength, in perfect timing, that's due time, it's God's time. Christ died for the ungodly. And so he, he lifts us up Himself. We don't have power to redeem ourselves. Isn't that what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11? He says, Come unto me, all ye that labor. How are they laboring and heavy laden? He's not saying you work too hard. He's talking about striving under some type of weight of sin, striving in a, a life of sin. It's hard. A life of sinners, I, I forgot the, the, the exact scripture. The way of sinners is hard. It's hard. It's not as all fun and easy like everybody thinks. It's a weight of that. It's a weight when all your partying friends aren't around and it's just you. And the guilt and the weight of that, it takes a toll upon our lives and its ultimate wages is death and separation from the Lord. But the Lord says, Come unto me all you that labor and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says you're going to find rest for your souls. This is the type of strength that he's talking about. That when we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. And so Paul knew he's not going to boast in that former life. He knew by experience the power and the effect that the cross of his Lord Jesus Christ and our Lord Jesus Christ had worked in his own life. It, it turned him. We talked about repentance this morning in Sunday school. It turned him from the life He was living. It turns us. He knew how it had delivered Him. He knew how the Lord had saved Him and what that cross had affected in His life. He knew about the cleansing power of Jesus. He knew about uh, how He was new in Christ. And in His heart of hearts, He was a new man. He was not the same man. He didn't turn over a new leaf in life. He didn't make a New Year's resolution. He was born again. We were dead in our sins and trespasses, the Bible says. Dead is dead. 
We were dead in our sins and trespasses. God has quickened us or brought us to life. By grace, you are saved, the Bible says. I'm going to keep reading just a little bit further down. If you're still in Galatians 6, the next two verses say, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule or this truth of God, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. And so... He is saying here, what makes a true Jew, what makes a true true son of Abraham is not as the Judaizers taught. And I want to explain this just a little bit. You've probably studied Galatians or read Galatians or know enough about to know what was happening in this epistle. Paul is the one that brought them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they were saved. Those those that believed, believed. And they were saved. And there was a church there. And uh, after Paul left, sometime after Paul left, the false teachers came in. I want to make a point that they were false teachers. They weren't even just Jews. They were Judaizers. Okay? And they came in behind Paul and they preached a false gospel. It was a mixture or a blend of, of Jesus and the works of the law. Not just any old works. Any old works. Okay? Specifically the, the gospel that they were teaching was false in the sense that it was a blend it was a blend or a mixture of salvation by grace and faith in Jesus and you got to keep the law still. Well they weren't even under the law. These were, people were never under the law. They were gentile people. They got saved. They probably worshiped idols or nothing at all. And the Judaizers come in and say now that stuff about Jesus that's great but we're adding to it the keeping of the law of Moses. And so Paul's saying, look, it's not circumcision that avails anything or uncircumcision. It's not that you're better off in one state or the other. He says, but, but a new creature. And that's what Christ makes us. He's telling this church in Galatia, and as many as walk according to this rule or this faith or believe in Jesus like I'm preaching to you and have preached to you, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. And so uh, it's not appropriate. It's not of God for a believer, a true born-again believer, to then enter back into this law, the law of Moses, which Christ fulfilled. He fulfilled it. He fulfilled it, and that law typified and foreshadowed Jesus' first coming, right? To be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And He came and fulfilled that. And so, uh, the, the Judaizers were saying, that a true Jew would be one that kept the law as well as Jesus. That's what the Judaizers are saying. Um, the circumcision of the flesh, the keeping of the law, and Jesus. It's a mixture. It's a blend. And you can't blend Jesus with anything. You don't mix Him in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ with anything. Don't mix it. Don't do it. Now, in the faith of Christ, there's plenty of things He tells us to do in His Word in obedience to the Lord and so forth. But those things are results and outworkings of our salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. James says, you show me your faith without your works, I'm going to show you my faith by my works. Which one is a real faith? Not the dead faith. The living faith. It's a living faith that saves. It's faith in Jesus. And so Paul says, I'm not going to boast in any of those works. And a true son of Abraham is going to be one that is that by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? And that's what we are by faith. And the, the law, the, the Bible says the law was good, and just, and holy, and spiritual. 
That's what Paul says about the law. And it was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. We've talked about that a lot before. And, and uh, the Lord chose for salvation to come through the Jewish people. That's just His plan. That's just the way He chose for it to be. Salvation is of the Jews. Jesus was the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Now I want to, I want to read this Scripture to you from Romans chapter 2, if you're taking notes, 28 and 29. I'm going to go ahead and read it. For He is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But He is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. Isn't that what the Bible teaches? And what the, what the Lord's teaching us in His Word. In the Spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. True salvation is through faith in Christ. Okay? Men have always, and I've said this before, just so there's not a confusion, because there is great confusion in our day about the law. The law, the law, the law. Pharisees, uh, you're a Pharisee, you're this, you're that. And the, the place that it plays, and I don't have time to teach it all now. We did our study in Hebrews and went through it. But men have always, please understand this, men have always been saved by grace through faith. Before the law. During the law. Since the law. The law was never given to be the Savior. Jesus has always been the Savior, even before He came. The Bible says in Isaiah, look unto Me and be saved. He doesn't say keep all the law perfectly and you'll go to heaven. You'll be righteous and justified. There, the law was given as a schoolmaster to show the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man. God accepted those blood sacrifices of animals as a temporary covering for man's sin all the way, all the while pointing them, you need a new heart. There's coming one. And maybe they died before He came. But they still could put their trust in Him, right? They still could trust in a coming Savior even though He hadn't come yet. And so the law was never given to be the Savior. And so uh, there's nothing. Men have always been saved by grace through faith. Abraham did what? Believed God. And it was counted unto him for righteousness. God counted it for righteousness. David didn't perfectly keep the law. He committed adultery and, and murder. Those two at least that we know of that he, that he did. And he's in heaven today. He's a man after God's own heart. He knew that it, he looked unto the Lord for his salvation. He was counting on God for his mercy and his grace. And so Paul says, I am not, God forbid, going to glory or make my boast in anything other than the Lord Jesus and in the, his cross upon which he died. And Paul could have. Paul could have, right? I'm just going to read this. Just listen from Philippians 3, 3 and 4. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. He would go on after that to describe his pedigree in the Jewish religion. And he did have it. Now, the tribe of Benjamin... You know, Pharisee of Pharisees and so forth is keeping touching the law, the righteousness of the law, blameless. I believe that. I believe that he kept the law of Moses, not inwardly because his heart wasn't renewed, but he kept the observances of it and behaved himself in that fashion. And yet he was totally blind and lost. And he, when he came to know Christ, he says, I, I don't have any confidence. I'm not putting my confidence in that flesh. We're not of those 
who put our confidence in the flesh. And if anybody could have, I could have. Paul could way more than I could have boasted in his flesh. He says, I'm not going to do it. Okay, now to boast, when he says, I won't glory in anything except the Lord Jesus Christ and His cross. That word glory means to boast in or to vaunt, vaunt yourself. And that could be in a good sense or a bad sense. It's bad in the sense of it's if I'm glorying in myself or if I'm glorying in anything other than the Lord and His cross. It's good if I'm glorying in Jesus Christ. And so the only thing I will boast in is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Y'all turn with me in your Bibles. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 29. He talks about how he took, God chooses the weak things and the foolish things to confound the things that are mighty and bring them to nothing. In verse 29, here's why. That no flesh should glory in His presence. But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. All true glory has to be in the Lord. I'm telling you things that you know. But even if you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, there is no thing that we have or will ever have to glory in save in the Lord Jesus Christ and His cross. It's just not. What we have in righteousness, it comes from Him. Wisdom, sanctification, redemption, Health, if you want to start looking at physical things. But everything, there's nothing to boast in. Nothing to boast in. Not at salvation, and not if we've been faithfully serving God, and we should faithfully serve God all the rest of our lives. But at the end of our life, we still have no more to glory in than the, the day we came out of our miry sin and said, Jesus, come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. And Paul says, I'm not going to fall into that trap. I'm not going to glory. And that, that what he quoted there at the, at the end, that as is, according as is written, verse 31, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. That's from Jeremiah. It's an Old Testament scripture, okay? From Jeremiah chapter 9. But there is no place within uh, true worship, okay, for the self glory. There's just no place in it. There's no place for self-glorying in my spiritual goodness or my morality or my righteousness. There's no place for a man to honor himself or glory in himself. Not in true religion, okay? In true worship of the Almighty. In true salvation. Because true salvation is a definite work of God's grace. It is a definite work of God's grace brought to men by His Son Jesus and our faith in Him. Amen? And the work that He did on the cross. Just listen to this Scripture from Romans 3.27. Where is boasting then? Paul asked the same question. It's writing primarily to a Jewish audience in Romans. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay. But by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So where is boasting? He's saying there's no place for it. There's no place for it. If a pastor gets to thinking he's all that, an evangelist gets to thinking he's all that, or a Christian gets to think a leader of a Bible study, whatever it may be, gets to thinking they're all that, and people start looking at him or her like they're all that, we need to watch that. There is no place for that. There's no glorying saving the Lord Jesus, His cross and the Lord and what He's done. Where is boasting? It's excluded. Well, what excluded it? By the law of faith. Because we're all saved by grace through faith. Amen? 
I'll glory in Christ and in Christ alone. So don't waste your time. And I'm speaking this to me. Don't waste your time boasting in anything else. It's a lie. It's pride. It's vanity. Don't get to feeling too comfortable about yourself and where you are. The Bible says our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Okay? And so God's going to bring it down. He's going to expose it. If we get lifted up in ourselves, we're to bow before the Lord. We're to bow our hearts before the Lord. Give Him the glory and the honor that's due unto His name. Give the glory and honor to do His name. His own right hand has gotten Him the victory and He didn't need me to help Him out to do it. And so I'm going to move on to this because I want to really get to what I want to talk about. There's power in His name. There's power in His blood. There's power in His cross. That's what Paul's talking about. Not just any cross, but in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not just anybody dying up there and not just any blood being shed, but the cross of our Lord Jesus and His blood that was shed. Colossians 1.20 says, And having made peace through the blood of His cross, having made peace, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There are two parties that are estranged. It's like a couple going through divorce. They get the divorce and they're estranged from one another. And that's man, holy God and sinful man. And the Bible says that uh, we've been reconciled to God by the blood of His cross. We've made peace with God through faith in Jesus. That the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So there's power in the cross. Not just any cross, but the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ to reconcile men unto God. And Paul said, it's, it, it's by His cross. And listen, this is what a, is to work in our lives. What is this sermon all about? Okay, I'm finally getting to it. He says, by whom, by which the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. God forbid that I should glory, saving the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which or by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. It actually, our Lord's cross did this in Paul's life. It affected that in his life. It actually worked this in his, in his life. It produced this in his life. When, when he was Saul of Tarsus on that road to Damascus, he believed. And, and when he believed, Christ's cross had this effect in his life. It's standing right there. It's standing right there in our way. It's standing right there in our hearts and in our lives. If we're really born again, the cross is always there. He's not on it anymore. He rose again from the dead, from the, dead the third day. But he's saying it was by the cross of his Lord and our Lord, Jesus Christ, that this whole world was crucified to Him and Him unto the world. He met the Lord there when Saul of Tarsus believed in Jesus of Nazareth. That's when this happened in his life and he became new. And the Lord's cross will work that in our lives if we will allow that to work in our lives by faith. It's going to bring death to the world and, and we'll be dead to the world and the world will be dead to us. Galatians 5 says, they that are Christ, if you're really born again, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh 
with its affections and lust. He speaks of it as being done. You understand what I'm saying? They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Crucifixion, it talks about the cross, right? I know we've said it a bunch of times before, but when you would see a man carrying a cross, if you lived in the days of Rome and the Roman Empire, you know, when you see if you see somebody going through the streets of your village carrying a cross, you might not know the guy. You might not know his name. You might not know what crime he committed or anything about it. But one thing you know is he wasn't coming back because the cross did its job. It was designed to bring death and it brought death. It was capital punishment. It was a form of execution. It's the cross. It's the same way that our Lord died. But He gave up the ghost when He was ready. But it must be reckoned by faith in our lives. This has got to be more than a theory. It has to be more than uh, a scriptural argument. Now, we can't argue it scripturally. Okay? I'm talking about the world being crucified to us and us to the world by the cross of Jesus. That's the argument I'm talking about. That has to be a reality in the believer's life that we reckon upon as being true whether we feel it at any particular moment or not. They that are Christ, the Bible says, have crucified the flesh with its lusts and affections. Reckon yourselves also to be dead unto sin and alive unto God through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6. That whole chapter talks about it. And so... Uh, it says in Romans 6, 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him. Knowing it. we got to know it. It's not a theory. It's not just a Bible study. Every one of us sitting in this room that has professed Christ as Savior and Lord, knowing this, that our, Lord, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. We served sin before. We thought we were just serving ourselves. We really served sin. Now that we're in Christ, that cross has, had, has a, an effect upon us. And by faith, we need to reckon it as being so. Paul did say, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but it's the, the Christ that liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. To be crucified to something is truly to be dead to that thing, right? If he says the world is crucified to me, he still walked around in it. You know what I mean? He still ate food and got sleepy and scratched, stubbed his toe on something and you know, and all that got rained upon, got hot. He still lived in this world, but the world was dead to him. He was crucified to it. Nobody survives the cross. So the cross does its work. We have to count it as being a fact. What does it mean to be crucified to the world? All of us sitting in here, you know, I talk about Buck and his job, or Damien, you're going to be traveling this week. Or we talk about the world and things in the world, and we live here. But to be crucified to that means that we're dead to this world in the sense of it's all that it stands for. We're dead to its God. Satan is the God of this world, the Bible tells us, the devil. There's a whole godless system around us, right? And yet we're still here. We're not the majority. Christians are not the majority. They're not the majority on this planet. We're sprinkled around like a little salt shaker, uh, salt and light wherever we are. And yet we're to count it as being a fact that we're dead to it. We're right in the midst of it. We're up to our elbows in it. And yet we're said, the Bible says, by whom I'm crucified of the world and the world unto me. 
We have to be dead by faith to its attractions. We have to be dead to its appeal. We have to be dead to its whole godless system. We have to be dead to the world's mindset. The world has a mindset. Just watch TV for 30 minutes. You'll know it. Turn on uh, MB, you know, uh, a news station and watch it for 15 minutes. You'll see the, the, the opinion of the world. You'll see it. That's the world. Just you can watch it for 10 minutes. Go on a college campus and listen to some new diversity training for the college campus. You'll learn the world and what the world's all about very quickly. Does not want God in the midst of it. Wants God if, if, if God can just kind of be a peaceful cohabitor with it, you know, but not to really come in and be God. And so we're to be dead, and we are dead. We need to recognize so by being faith. Dead to its temporary pleasures. Dead to its attractions. But John says, beloved, he says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, right? All that is in the world, he sums it up. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, it's not of God, it's of the world. So there's another description. What does it mean to be the world? What am I dead to? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. All this is not of God, it's of the world. It has its origin of the, of the world. Jesus said to his disciples the night he was going to be betrayed, he said, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But you're not of the world. I've called you out of the world. I've given you my word and the world has hated you. And he says, you're not of the world, even in the same sense that I'm not of the world. That's how you're not of the world, because of, of God and his spirit and your faith in me. He hadn't gone to the cross at that point, but still, that's what we're talking about. And the world passes away and the lust thereof. We need to know that by faith, y'all. You need to know it by faith. The world is going to pass away. It's raging, it's gritting its teeth, and shaking its fist at God in rebellion, and there's a fierceness to it, and it's getting more uh, uh, adamant and, and outgoing and bold, and yet God still sits on His throne. He's not shaken by it one bit. The world passes away, and the lust thereof. It's going to happen just like God said. It's going to happen just like it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, that, uh, that people are ignorant that, that God's going to bring that judgment by fire. You know, He's going to bring it. And He's going to bring it in this perfect time. How is it possible, though, for us to truly be dead to this world in that sense where we desire only to live for God and for His glory? I believe it's an ongoing thing. And I believe it's something by faith. Again, we have to reckon it to be so that Christ's death is my death and His his life, my life. I want to read this from a commentary I was reading. Actually, we touched on this in our study in 1 Peter. He was contrasting the church of today, the believers of today. This is not a blanket condemnation, okay? If this doesn't fit your life, then praise God. He's given a picture of, of Christianity of this day as opposed to Christianity in Peter's day and the believers he was writing to in First and Second Peter. He said they, they lived in a sense that Christ was their king right then and there. It wasn't Caesar or whoever where they were. It was Christ. True, they had their dwelling in the world to do their necessary business according to the will of God. In other words, God has us here still for a reason, right? A lot of our growth, all of our spiritual growth is going to be through life lessons that we learn. Getting sick, getting laid off a job, struggling financially, friends forsaking you because you committed your life to Jesus, right? He's got us here in the midst of this world 
being rejected, preaching the gospel and being spat upon, you know, and mocked or imprisoned if you're in China or something like that. So he says they had their their dwelling in the world to do their necessary business according to the will of God, to learn lessons that only could be learned in the conditions of this present life. He says, but their dwelling in the spirit was in the spirit. Their true home and rest was was in confessing that they were strangers and pilgrims. They were strangers and pilgrims. We live in the world. Now he's contrasting. It's not a praise, by the way. He says we live as Christians in the world and pay occasional visits to the unseen and eternal. Those early Christians lived in the unseen and eternal and paid periodic necessary visits to this world. We conformed to the world. They were transformed by the daily renewing of their minds. not saying they were born again and we're not born again. He is talking about our lifestyle though and our mindset. And I would agree with that. So often we just were Christians and we just conform to the world. And on Sundays and Wednesdays, if we have a devotional time or whatever during the week, we're tapping in and residing with the Lord, so to speak. But these believers, they just dwelt there, seated with Christ in heavenly places and interacted with the world as God would have them to to be salt and light and witnesses and also for, for His glory and for the, their own lives being strengthened and taught those lessons. I, I just think that you know, we're talking about being dead to this world. Um, truly to be dead to it, we, we need to be dead to its pull. Does the world have a pull on you? It does um, in certain areas in my life. It does. Right? When, when I get down and things aren't going my way, I get mad or I get depressed or I pout. I get discouraged. Things aren't going my way. But Christ is still the way. You know, He's still my way. None of that changed. If I was sit, sitting together with Christ in heavenly places, that stuff wouldn't affect me. I'm not just talking about the big blatant gross immorality. I'm talking about any pull of the world. A pull to, to make you lift it up and vaunt yourself and be prideful. A pull of pleasure. Uh, whatever the pull that it has on you. Uh, the Bible says of Moses that he forsook all that. He had a clear choice to make. He forsook the treasures of Egypt, esteeming the riches of uh, the reproaches of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. He made an estimation. He esteemed them. He said, "Whoa, this is nothing compared to that." And he lived there, and he walked with the Lord. And he got to see the glory of God. And he got to see the Lord pass by him and hide him in the cleft of the rock, and and all the different things. And he's with the Lord today. And so, uh, we need to be dead to this world's pull and its pleasures. You know, one of the one of the things that's hardest to me to die to in the world is man's opinion of me. And when I struggled and compromised in my Christianity, when I, when I was at LSU, and I graduated from Utah, and I got saved right before my senior year. And I went through my senior year at Utah, and I went through four and a half years of college in a fraternity with all my same buddies from high school. And I went through there and the, I was saved and I'd given my life to Jesus. But the pull on my life was not the drinking. It was not the uh, all that kind of you know riotous lifestyle, I guess you would say. It, doesn't, it didn't appeal to me. It didn't do a lot personally for me. What, what was the pull for me and the hardest thing for me to die to was the opinions of my friends of me. 
Now, you might be different for you. I'm not saying I'm, I'm the poster child for how it's got to be. I'm just letting you know it's hard sometimes to die to the world's opinions of you. You still want to look the sharpest and be the funniest and be the most athletic and be the this and that, most liked and most popular and everything else. We have that. And it's not that we are now set our goals, I want to go be unpopular. No, you want to live for God. You just want to live for God. And I always say the chips are going to fall where they do. When I really sold out to the Lord in the last semester at LSU, the Lord took care of a lot of that stuff because my friends didn't want to fool with me anymore. So that was over. That, I didn't have to worry about how do I break off this relationship and what will I tell them. You know, God took care of that pretty quick. As soon as they knew I, I was not, what happened to our old friend Randy? He's really different. Whatever they wanted to say about me, that took care of itself. So there's a separation. It's hard sometimes to die out of that. But this is what Paul's talking about. By the cross of the Lord in his heart and his life, by that cross and what actually happened there, happened to him. And by the cross of his Lord Jesus Christ, he was dead to the world and the world unto him. And God wants to bring us to a place, y'all, while we're there. He's not, he's not simply saying, I'm fed up with the world and I'm sick of it. That is different. Because you, you meet people that aren't Christians that get fed up with the world, right? And they pack up their stuff and they sell their business and their car and everything and they go live out in a mountain in Washington State somewhere, you know, by themselves. People do that. They drop out, so to speak, of society. They're just fed up with it. They're disappointed, disappointed, disenchanted, whatever it may be. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being dead to it. Specifically by the cross of our Lord. And all we want is to live for God now. And because He loves people, I love people that are in the world. I love them more than they'll ever know. You understand what I'm saying? It's not that I love the world. I love men created in the image of God. But I don't want anything that it has to offer me. There's nothing that a lost man can offer me. There's nothing, nothing the whole lost society can offer me that would advance me or help me or bring me satisfaction. We're satisfied in the Lord and him, him alone. Oh, you're trying to appeal to me with that? You're wasting your time. See, we're dead to that. We're to be, I found something so much better. I found one who satisfies completely. I found one who satisfies me completely. I'm not chasing after some little dreams, hoping to get them. And if I get the next paycheck or this, that, or the other, a friend or whatever, that's going to bring me the satisfaction. If you're doing that, or if I'm doing that as a believer, then we, we need to stop it. That's not what God put us here for. I'm thankful for those things. I'm thankful for physical blessings and things that He gives us. But we found the lover of our souls. And we have been seated, present tense, with Christ Jesus in heavenly places. Partaker of His divine nature. I'm not like the Mormons say, going to one day evolve to be a God and populate my own planet somewhere. I've been made to sit with Jesus now and I'm a partaker of His divine nature. Right now, partaker of His divine nature. I'm a servant of the Most High God. Ori Tori, this is in the Foundations book and, and the, I have a quote from Tori. This talks about Him before He knew Jesus and after. Once I loved worldly ways, and we're going to be closing, once I loved worldly ways and hated the things of Christianity, but today I hate the dance the card table and the theater and the horse race 
And I love the gathering together of God's people and the services of God's house on the Lord's day. That's his life. But you see that you see it, right? I loved this at one time. Now I want nothing to do with what I really love is this. I have nothing to do with this over here. And you can fill in the blank with what those things are. You might not play cards or go to the horse races or any of that stuff. The point is we're dead to that into the world. The Bible says if you're dead, you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. I'm going to close with this. This is what one man of God said about the Christian's attitude to the world. I'm going to close with this quote. He said, he, he, the believer, can never believe in it, the world. Never take pride in it, nor do homage to it anymore. It is stripped of its glory and robbed of its power to charm and govern him. We used to be governed by this world even if we thought we were very independent, self-sufficient. Before we knew Christ, we lived the way the world lived. Might have had our own little niche over here, but we're still in that big canopy of the kingdom of the world. Sin, loss, and so forth. But it's been robbed of its power to charm or govern me. How? By the cross of Jesus Christ. We need to preach the cross. We need to think about the cross. We need to have belief and reckon it so that we're dead to this world by the cross. Thus, the cross is a great barrier or dividing line between the world and the child of God. The cross is that barrier. You know, men erect walls, the Great Wall of China, and prison walls keep people in and keep people out. And it's all over the place, physical walls. But the cross is our barrier between the world. It's just it's what it's the cross that stands right there. That does that causes us to be dead to those things, and the world is dead to us. The world has no more use for you anymore either, by the way. The world has no use for me anymore. Paul's saying, I'm dead to the world, the world's dead to me. It has no use for me anymore. And I want to live in such a way, y'all, that that honors the Lord. And I'm not just talking about a lost man getting saved. I'm talking about a saved man and giving God the glory that's due His name and being dead to this world and living in such a way that there's a distinct difference in my life. I don't go out and try to be different. And you ought not go out and try to be different. We ought to be live for God and for His glory. You'll be different. You are different. And to live differently to the world and don't be ashamed of this Gospel and don't be ashamed of Jesus Christ the world will take note. I didn't say they would like it. That's the only way anybody's going to be saved through your testimonies if they see your testimony. There has to be a difference in our lifestyle and to truly be dead to this world. That was the last string, last big string. I've still got plenty more that I had to cut with the world was those friends. It was hard. It was very hard. It took me five years. I didn't want to. I fought with God about it. And he said, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Cut it. Cut the string. And I cut the string. And I'm so thankful because it was like Satan had me believing a lie for a long time. You won't have a friend in the world. That's what he told me. You won't have a friend in the world. If you tell you, for you stand up and stand for Jesus in the midst of these guys right here that you play football with and you chew tobacco with and you do this with, and you're going to... Uh, you're going to stand up and live for God in the midst of them. You won't have a friend in the world. 
And I believed it for a long time. I thank God He didn't give up. He kept hammering me. <clears throat> and He brought me to that place. But that, I had to cut that string. And then it was like liberty and freedom. Like that was what was holding me back. And how much I grew in Christ in five years? None. I didn't grow at all in five years. That's nothing to be proud of, is it? I didn't witness to one person. I didn't go on one mission trip. I read my Bible, go to church most of the time. I believe the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything about my life was, was uh, undetectable. Christ was undetectable in my life. I just blended right in perfectly. Like those, those lizards that change color, whatever they're sitting on. That's what I was. And God called me out of that, and He's called you out of that. And it's amazing the power He'll give you to do that when you just confess, yes, Lord, I'm, you're right, I'm wrong, forgive me. Forgive me, I put friends ahead of you. Forgive me. One of the things He told me, He says, you love them, you think you love your friends so much, you love them enough to tell them about me? Well, no, I didn't. I didn't at that time. Later, He got allowed me to tell them about Jesus. And some got saved and some didn't. But that world, the world's got to be crucified, y'all. That's something has got to work in every life. It doesn't just happen. You know, we, we die daily. We take up our cross and deny ourselves and, and follow the Lord. So I just want to close with that. Y'all y'all come, whoever's doing the altar. And, and y'all, you know in your lives, maybe while I've been preaching, or maybe you knew this before we ever got here this morning, is there something in your life that's that's of the world. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm not saying you're not born again. There's something in your life where the world has too much influence upon your life, where the world has too much of or any kind of hold upon your life. The opinions of the world matter to you more than what God thinks in pleasing and honoring God. And when when that particular thing comes up or appeals to you, you find yourself falling into it and not obey, obeying the Lord. doesn't mean you're not saved. But you're, you're shrinking back when God wants you to go on. You're not the tail, you're the head. And He wants you to go on. He'll give you all the friends you ever dreamed of. He'll give you everything you ever... the peace and the joy and everything that goes with it. The devil's a liar. He told me I wouldn't have a friend in the world. And my life would be miserable. I'd be some hermit living by myself if I sold out to the Lord like He was really thinking in my mind. But He's a liar. And God wants to bring you out and bring you into the fullness of all that He has for you. Would you just surrender to the Lord, to His Lordship? Would you say, Lord, I want Your cross to have its full effect in my life. I want to be like the Apostle Paul and like Your Word says, crucified to this world and this world unto me. And Lord, the world has a hold on me in this area. Or the opinions of the world. I care too much, God. Or I enjoy this too much in the world. God, forgive me and change me. Help me to find my satisfaction and my pleasure and my joy in Christ and Christ alone. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and, and I unto the world. Lord, I pray that Scripture to myself every day. I pray it to You, Lord. Because I want that to be an increasing reality in my life. And I pray that we would be a peculiar people set apart, God. Dead to this world. We love them. Oh Lord, we love people in the world. We love sinners because You love them and You love them through us. But we wouldn't
compromise with this world. We wouldn't seek after its approval. Help us, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Just find your place. I know we're cramped in here. You find a place or kneel right where you are and begin to call upon the Lord. I'm going to read this before William sings. Declare His glory among the heathen, His marvelous works among all the nations. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Glory and honor in it are in His presence. Strength and gladness are in His place. Give unto the Lord, ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of His holiness. Fear before Him all the earth. The world also shall be, shall be st stable, that it be not moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. And let men say among the nations, The Lord reigneth. And so, Lord, we don't have anything to glory in. We want to give you the glory that's due your name. If we have any boast, it, let it only be in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let it only be in your grace, in your mercy, in your sin atoning death, in your blood that was shed, in your salvation, in your gift of life that you've given to us, God, in your kindness to us, Lord. Let that be the only thing we boast in, God would be in You. And if we'll humble ourselves before You, God, You'll lift us up. You'll lift us up and place us before kings. You'll place us before uh, mighty people of the earth, God. You'll do it if we'll humble ourselves before You, God. Thank You, Jesus.